morning. You were much more chatty this morning than normal. I will say that. It's amazing what an extra hour of sleep will do for you. Amen? All right. Well, today we're talking about the grief of Jesus as we look at the, getting to the last week of his earthly life before his death. And there's a grief uh, that is synonymous with mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, not this morning, with mourning and sadness. Uh, this is a grief that deals with death and things like tragedies. That's not the type of grief we're talking about today. There's a grief that is more of like being sad or disappointed. We could call this the, the disappointment of Jesus, but I think grief's a better word. Disappointed with people. Disappointed with your community. Disappointed with your family. Disappointed with people through their actions, their decisions. If you have children, you understand this. Amen. And you remember what it was like when you were a child. And it was always the worst when your father or mother or parent or whoever, uh, you did something wrong and they weren't angry with you, but they were what? Disappointed. All right. That was the worst because uh, you understood that they grieved over what you had done. As Jesus enters the last week of his life, as he enters into Jerusalem, he verbally reveals his frustration, his disappointment, his grief for the Jewish people. And that's what we're looking at today with the grief of Jesus. We're in Matthew 23. It is a long passage. Um, so I'm just going to read verses 1 through 12 before we pray. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father. Who is in heaven? Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this passage of Scripture you've given us. Lord, we do thank you for your word. And as we look at this passage today, Father, I pray that you would take uh, these words written, uh, these, these, this sermon that I've tried to develop, you would make it into something supernatural. You would make it your word, that we would hear it, we would receive it today, that your spirit would work forth in this place. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
this passage today, I want to give you five things that we see in this extended passage that, that grieve Jesus. Five things that we see in this first 12 verses are kind of an introduction into this whole passage. And so it's kind of an introduction that gives us into these things. But in the overarching thing here that, that grieves Jesus, number one, is that he is grieved by hypocrisy. He's grieved by hypocrisy. Now, on some level, all people are hypocrites. We're all sinners. We all do things that we say we shouldn't do. On some level, that is the case, right? But he's talking about something much more deeper than just sinners not doing what they say they should do or want to do or tell to do. He's talking about a, a deep level of hypocrisy, and he's grieved by it. Verse 1 says, he said to his disciples, verse 2, that the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. And he says in verse 3, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not their works, for they preach, but they do not practice. Jesus tells his Jewish followers that the scribes, the Pharisees, who were at the same time lawyers and theological scholars, that they, they had the proper authority both religious and legal, in the Jewish community. So he says, because of that, listen to them when they teach God's Word. They have the proper authority because we know that, that God's Word will not return void. An atheist can stand up here and read God's Word and not believe it, but it would affect the believer's hearts for our good because it is powerful. It is living and active. So he says, they, they sit in Moses' seat. It doesn't matter who says it. It'll have a supernatural effect. So listen to them, but that's as far as you go. Do not follow their examples of how they live. He says they preach, but they don't practice what they preach. Have you ever heard that phrase before? You know, practice what you preach. Did you know it's in the Bible? Well, there it right is. It's biblical. They were the definition of hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who says, this fill in the blank is what you must do, but they themselves don't even try to live up to that standard by which they have instructed others. That is hypocrisy. We saw this during the COVID years, which almost seems like a fever dream, doesn't it? It seems like something that didn't really happen. Look back at it. Did we really go through all that craziness? Right? We think about it. We, we saw this during the COVID lockdowns. You may remember the state of California had a very strict masking laws. When you had to wear masks, you had to wear them in the house, all these kind of things. And, and during all of this, there was a photo released of the governor of California at dinner with people, and he wasn't wearing a mask. And everyone went wild over it. Right? Because it was a man who would have press conference after press conference telling people to wear masks, wear masks in your home, we'll fine you if we catch you not wearing a mask, all these things. And then there he was having some swanky dinner with some friends and family, and nobody was wearing a mask, and people were upset about it because that is the definition of hypocrisy. And this is what grieved Jesus. He further describes it in verse 4. He says this, they, they, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, and, 
but they themselves are not willing to move them with the finger. He says that, that hypocrites place the burdens on people's backs, but they don't carry them. They, they place a moral burden of how they should live, but they don't even attempt to live that way. He says, verse 5, that, that they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Now, without going into detail about these phylacteries and fringes and all these kind of things, which we could, it was part of their uniform as these religious leaders, and they made them look ostentatious. They made them look visible so that people from a long way away would say, oh, there is the chief priest. There is the Pharisee. They must be super holy. The issue wasn't that they were wearing these uniforms. The issue is that they made them so that they would bring attention to them. It would be like if we had, if pastors were identified by a bow tie, it'd be like if I wore a bow tie this big. Now you think it was a cartoon character at first, but you know what I mean? To draw attention to people. Right? He says in verse 6 that they love the, the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. They love being called rabbi by others. What they loved most about being the religious leaders was being the religious leaders. That's what they loved about it, the position. They loved the perks that came with their positions. But they didn't love the ministry. They didn't love the people. They loved the perks. Jesus says to his disciples to not put so much emphasis in titles. He says, you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. In verse 9, and call no man your father, for you have one father. In verse 10, don't be called instructors, for you have one instructor. What he's saying is that it's respectful to call people, especially religious leaders and, and government leaders, it's, re it's, it's respectful to call them by their titles. Right? So you call them governor so-and-so and mayor so-and-so and pastor so-and-so. This is what they were. They were basically all in the same type of realm here in the Jewish community. He said, but don't view the person with the title as any better, inherently better than those without. He says, because we're all from the same family. We're all in the same Jewish family. We all have the same teacher and father, our God in heaven. And so then he then explains in verse 11, true religious leadership. He says this, the greatest among you is not the ones that love the great things. The, the greatest among you is your servant. Whoever exalts himself, Jesus says, oh, he'll be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is grieved by hypocrisy, and so he instead he encourages his disciples humility and service. Number two, Jesus is grieved also by moralism. He's grieved by moralism. So at this point, Jesus turns and he speaks directly to the hypocrites of the day, the religious leaders. And he gives a series of woes which hearkened back to the way that the Old Testament prophets would speak. And he says in verse 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite referred to someone who was an actor. Literally, that's what it meant. 
They played a role. They played a part, but they weren't really who they were portraying to be. So he calls the religious leaders actors, which is an insult, by the way. <laughs> Woe to you, religious leaders, actors. Now, in, in the Old Testament tradition of the prophets, he says, Woe to them. And the religious experts certainly understood the reference, certainly understood that they were on the receiving end of an Old Testament pr prophetic message. He says this in verse 13 You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Because of their hypocrisy, because of their false teaching, instead of showing the way to the kingdom of heaven, they keep that door closed. They keep that portal closed. They were not teaching faith in God. They were not teaching faith in the coming Messiah. They were teaching faith in their own works. They were teaching moralism. Moralism is telling others what one must do to get into heaven. The Pharisees had all these rules by which they controlled the people and they had to do in order to get into the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells them that they closed this door, not only for the people, but they closed it for themselves as well. Look at verse 15. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Whoa, Jesus, put on the brakes now. <laughs> Whoo, Jesus is getting fired up. Still wasn't sinning, but he was getting fired up. He says that they, they, they go to great lengths to convert people to their religion, their moralism. But their religion makes them a child of hell, not of heaven. They do all this work just to make people be, uh, believe they know God when they're really just children of the devil. So Jesus was grieved by this moralism. He was grieved by this emphasis on works and acts and looking the part and playing the part and not emphasizing the coming of the Messiah. Who was he? So he's grieved by moralism. Third, Jesus is grieved by dishonesty. Dishonesty. Jesus then critiques a cultural practice of swearing on certain things, what we know, what's known as making oaths. Look at verse 16. He says, woe to you. Then he calls them blind guides, which you don't want a guide that's blind, trust me, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. If anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him by who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. What's he talking about? Well, Jews were not allowed to swear to God. This is a lot of reasons why we don't encourage this either. You don't, it's, kind of, it's odd when someone says, I swear to God, it kind of makes us... Uh, cringe for a reason. 
So they couldn't swear to God, so they would swear to godly, quote-unquote, things, like the temple or the gold in the temple or the altar. I swear by the altar. I, I, I swear by the organ or the pulpit or the piano or the stained glass windows, things like this. They would swear by godly things to, to let them know how important this oath they're making is. They couldn't swear by God. But they would do that and then look for loopholes in their oaths to take advantage of people. It was a dishonest practice. And so the religious leaders were dishonest, and they took their advantage of people by purely deceiving them. This purposeful dishonesty, especially among the religious leaders, grieved Jesus and it grieved him today. They didn't have the right motivations. They were dishonest in what they were about and why they were the religious leaders. Let me ask you a question. What is your motivation for being here today? What is your motivation for being here today? There was a time where being a member of a church especially in the South, gained you a certain cultural advantage. Those times are long gone. <laughs> we live in an ever-increasing post-Christian world, which is why if you're here today, you are God's people. I'm certain of it. Maybe 40 years ago, that might not have been the case. The pews might have been filled with lost people who were just here because it looked good. Those days are gone. But maybe you are here for, primarily for, for business contacts. Or, or maybe you're here just to, to cause problems, which I hope not. Or, or maybe you're here to gain some position by which people can be impressed by you. I don't know what your motivation is. Hopefully it's not a bad motivation. Hopefully none of us have those bad motivations. But if it is, and if you search your heart, and it's not what it should be, Jesus would say to you, woe to you. If your primary motivation for being here is not to know Christ better and to grow closer to him, you're here for the wrong reasons. So what is your motivation? Are you honest with yourself as to why you are here today? Because Jesus is grieved by dishonesty and motivations with his people. Number four. Jesus is grieved by virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. I did not make that word up. This is what the, the new generation, you know, we're in the old generation now. I mean, I'm Generation X, and we're, I'm, I'm old now. It's all about the millennials, and my kids are Gen Z. Then my daughter tells me my two youngest children are in a completely different generation. They're the alpha generation, which scares me. What is that going to be like, the alpha generation? Wow, right? But, but virtue signaling is what our generation calls the, the idea of being sanctimonious, what we used to call self-righteous. Self-righteous, virtue signaling. It, it's making a point of showing others how pious, how holy, how good a person is. Look how holy I am. Let me tell you how holy I am. Let me show you how holy I am. Look what he says in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus, pump the brakes, right? What is he saying? He says the, the hypocrites tithed out of their spice racks. They gave 10% of everything that existed. They were so, because so, people could see that. They saw that. They, they would know that. But justice, mercy, they knew nothing of those things. Because it didn't necessarily make them look good. If they did, man, they would do it. What's he talking about when he talks about gnats and camels? Well, gnats and camels are both considered unclean animals. So, believe it or not, some especially pious people would put up screens to keep gnats from flying into their homes and to their areas they lived in. Because if a gnat flew in and accidentally got into their drink, and they accidentally drank it, and the gnat went into their body, then they broke a commandment. So they didn't want to do it unknowingly. So let's, let's put up screens in case a gnat comes in and gets into my coffee. Jesus says, the same people who are doing this are often on the side when nobody can see eating whole camels. <laughs> he says, they're blind, they're hypocrites. People see through their show. And that's one of the interesting things about hypocrisy is most people see through it. But they do it anyway. Their hypocrisy of virtue signaling is known. Look at me. I got these, these, these screens up so I won't accidentally swallow a gnat. Meanwhile, I'm over there eating the hoofs off the camel. He says in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now this makes a little more sense to us here. I took you to your house and uh, served you dinner. And I cooked for you, which had been a minor miracle. And, uh, and I gave you my good china. And I said, you know, I just washed this for you. It's all clean. You'd be like, well, I expected that, thanks. And you look inside the bowl, and there's like dead flies and cobwebs and leftover stained macaroni and cheese and all kind of stuff. You would say, this isn't clean. I'd be like, yeah, look at the outside of that bowl. It's, it's sparkling clean. You didn't clean the inside. Well, why do you need the inside clean? Because that's where the food goes. That's the most important part. See what Jesus is saying? You look good on the outside, but inside you're moldy, dirty. Your heart is sick. And then he makes it even worse. He talks about tombs, which they couldn't be around dead people. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like you go to a tomb and you, and you whitewash it. And you say, I have the prettiest tomb here. 
We, we got the most beautiful, ornate tomb. It's whitewashed. It's, it's, it's clean. And he says, that's silly. Why would you care so much about that when inside the tomb is just a bunch of pile of bones? He says that on the outside, hypocrites, you look clean, but inside your hearts are dirty. Inside there is death. They were spiritually dead. So Jesus is grieved by virtue signaling. And then number five, maybe the thing that grieved him the most is he's grieved by ignorance. Ignorance from people who should not have been ignorant. People who should have known better. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. He says, listen, we, we would not have killed the prophets like our fathers. We can't imagine why they did that. We celebrate the prophets like Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all them. We, we would not have tried to kill them. Verse 31. Thus, you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? He says, verse 34, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." Now, if they weren't going to kill him before, they were going to kill him now. He says, the ignorance of the religious leaders grieved Jesus the most. They would say, how can our ancestors kill the prophets? He says, you killed one just recently between the sanctuary and the altar. You killed one. What? We would never. You did. And you will. Because you will do this. They were ignorant of the past. They were ignorant of the truth. They were ignorant of their own sin. They were ignorant. And Jesus grieves for them. When we see here, verse 37 through 39 at the end, he says this. It's like he's done the woes. He's done the seven woes. And then sorrow and grief come out. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city of God, city of David, the once center of the known world. <clears throat> oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that, that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. He says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? You we're not willing. <clears throat> see, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus wanted to be like a mother hen who would take all the little chickadees under her wing 
but they wouldn't come. They were rebellious. This grieved Jesus. If you're parents, you know how that is. You just want your kids to, to come to you. You just want them to make good decisions. You don't want them to be ignorant of things, and they don't. They're rebellious, and it grieves you. Jesus could not make them have faith in who he was. He couldn't force faith. Faith is something you have to have on your own. You have to be convicted and put your faith in Jesus. And so he grieved their ignorance. What area in your life today, as we look through this passage, are you guilty of grieving Jesus today? Is it, is it hypocrisy? Is it moralism? Is it dishonesty? Is it virtue signaling in some way? And it's even harder now with virtue signaling with social media. Be very careful with it. It's so easy to do it. Is it ignorance? Maybe you didn't know what you didn't know. Have you ever thought that there might be a place in your life where Jesus is grieved? Now, here's the good news. Jesus, to you, is like a mother hen whose wings are open. He says, just come in. Just come to me. Quit rebelling. Quit putting on a show. Quit playing a role. Follow me and come to me. Amen? It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter the sin we've committed. If we repent, come to Jesus, he takes us in. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He takes us in. Today, if there's something in your life that's grieving Jesus, leave it there. Give it to him. And he says, come on in so he can be proud of who you are as you put your faith in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage. It grieves us to read about these things, these woes. It's hard to read through it, hard to listen, hard to preach. There's not a lot of encouragement there for us. But the encouragement, Father, that we can turn to you. We can turn to you at any point and you receive us. Father, there's one in here that's never placed their faith in you that today they would do that and that they would come into your family. For those of us, Lord, who've strayed and find ourselves doing things and living ways we should not do or we know is wrong, that today we make a commitment, Lord, to, to follow you and to come into your into your brood, so to speak, Lord. You would bring us in. We would stay there. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.